This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. From MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lodridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts. Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. Diversification is a buzzword for your investment portfolio. Today, we're going to talk about two ways you can do that, mutual funds and ETFs, exchange-traded funds. Are they the same, or how might they be different? We're also looking for your personal finance questions. Contact us by email. The address, it's money at mpbonline.org. Good to have you with us this week, Nancy. What financial news is on your mind? Well, Kevin, all that anybody can talk about is inflation, inflation, inflation. So uh, we just got numbers that for the 12 months ending October 31st, our inflation rate is at 6.2%. So to give some historical perspective here, over a longer period of time, the average rate of inflation is 3% around that range. But for the previous 10 years after the financial crisis of 2008 and on forward, we were sitting at 2% or less, so very, very low levels. And even looking at this 6.2%, if we back up to the previous 12-month reporting period when many of us were in lockdown, it was only at 1.2%. So the big question is, are we going to be living with higher prices for a long time, or is this going to dissipate? We don't really know at this point, but we do have some weird things going on. On the supply side, everybody hears about the problems with the supply chain, and that's causing us to have low inventories all kinds of products. We think that's going to gradually start to ease, and uh, we will see some improvement there. On the demand side, we've all been in lockdown, and I know at my house, I hadn't been spending as much money. So we're all uh, sitting with money burning a hole in our pockets, and we're ready to spend, and we're out there, and we got numbers this morning showing that we are starting to spend more. So the combination of we want more stuff, there's not stuff on the shelves, and we see prices going up. The big question mark in this is going to be labor and what those labor prices will be going forward. We still think we're going to moderate, probably have a little higher inflation than historical averages, maybe in the 3.5% range for the next couple of years, but not hyper. Don't think we're going back to the 80s. Everybody just needs to calm down. Uh, So this is the subject of your latest blog post, am I right? Yes, it is. And can anyone uh, access those online? Yes, you can go to newper, N-E-W-P-E-R dot blogspot dot com. You can also find it on our website, a connection there, newper dot com. All right, good. Uh, Good morning, Ryder. What about financial news that you've been thinking about? Good morning, Kevin. I I just want to follow up what Nancy said with a little bit of... uh, Maybe maybe a bright spot on the inflation side. It also means we now have rising wages. Wages uh, for employees at private companies are up 4.6 in the last 12 months. So that is very nice for those of uh, those of you who are you know keeping your job, still in a job, getting back into the workforce. Wages are creeping up. Also, fun facts: you can get a guaranteed 7.2 percent interest, guaranteed by the federal government if you buy I 
bonds. You have to buy those directly from the Treasury. You can buy them online at treasurydirect.gov. The way the I-bonds work is that they have a fixed rate. <laughs> that fixed rate is currently zero. And they have an inflationary rate. Uh, that inflationary rate is, well, it's it's like 3.56. They pay it in, in compounds twice a year, which is how they get the 7.12 for you. So that's a nice little uh, guaranteed 7% interest on your savings if anybody's interested in that. It is limited to $10,000 per year per person, um, but that rate will be available for the next, uh, I believe it's until April. Also, one last benefit, I guess, uh, side effect of this inflation, one thing we've talked about a lot, prices going up, is house prices. And so uh, the housing market is strongly supported by the federal government Fannie Mae and Freddie, through Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And how that works is you get a mortgage from your local bank. As long as that local bank follows certain guidelines set by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are willing to buy that off their books. And so that encourages those banks to keep lending out money because Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac will keep backing them up. And there is a limit on those loans. And that limit is going up to uh, close to a million dollars. The, um, the current limit is 500, about 550000 and then for more expensive parts of the country, it's over 800000 Those limits are going to jump up uh, to about 650000 so anybody in the country can get 650000 from their bank guaranteed by Fannie and Freddie, and almost a million dollars in some of the higher-cost markets. So again, that's a symptom. That's just something you see because those house prices have risen so much. This is Money Talks, and we're going to be talking about mutual funds and EFTs today, but always look for personal finance questions, and I actually have one uh, and a follow-up. So uh, this falls in one of those where you, you kind of think you know something, but the more you think about it, you realize you might not really quite understand the whole thing. And, Nancy, that is cash back offers. I know I have one credit card that has that, and you see that a lot when you see uh, ads uh, for credit cards. So how does the cash back thing work? Well, I have a card that offers cash back or points, and uh, whenever you use that card at participating retailers, and uh, I will reveal that mine's Amazon, so when I buy through Amazon, I get more cash back or points. And, of course, what they want me to do is turn around and buy more stuff on Amazon. Uh, Ryder is more disciplined in, in contacting them and saying, send me a check. Um, but, of course, any purchase that you make with a credit card, there's going to be a charge that uh, goes to the retailer, somewhere around 3%. It can be more. Um, it can be less. And, um, and then that charge can be used to – that's how the company makes money. But that's also how they encourage you to keep using their cards and create some loyalty by giving you a little bit of that back. So is it um, per, per purchase or is it figured every time your statement hits or one? Well, generally what I've seen with mine, it is um, after the statement hits and after I've paid the previous bill that I will see these points showing up and I can use that as cash or I can use that as points. 
And then, well, go ahead, brother. The, the, the new Apple card actually pays those, that cash back rewards every day. I don't, I think there may be a couple of other cards that do that, but there are some even that just pay as cash into, for instance, a PayPal account you have. So there's a lot of different ways they're lining up those rewards, but I do think the cash back ones are, are some of the easiest to understand. And it's usually, what, one or two, three percent, that, that sort of thing? Yes. Well, it's, yeah, it depends on um, which retailer you go to. So there, uh, for instance, if you have a, a Home Depot card, of course, and there's some sort of cashback offer, they're going to pay more if you use it at Home Depot. All right, so my second part of the question is if you, as we talk about on the air a lot, and try to be disciplined and either keep balances low or not use your credit card a lot, that doesn't really seem like that's a big deal to get cash back if you're not really putting much cash in. Well, if you're, if you're using your card, because, you know, it just has reached the point that you're going to have to use your card. If you order online, and we've seen online sales go up, more people are using their cards or some other payment method. Um, if you purchase in a store, you're using your card. So I tend to have pretty large balances on my cards, but I pay them off every month. Well, you're, you're kind of right, though, Kevin. When you think about cash back as 1% or 2%, Think about all the spending you do on your credit card, and yes, you know, if you, especially if you're a disciplined saver, or hopefully a dis, maybe a disciplined spender, not spending too much, one or two percent. I mean, gosh, that really does not add up to much. It's going to take you ten years before you've accumulated just one month's worth of spending. I think what's interesting about it, though, and one of the, I think, as, as Nancy's alluded to, the fun games to play is that is that some of them do have uh, special reimbursements for different retailers, like the Amazon one reimbursing more for Amazon. I have a card that reimburses more for groceries, so I use that at the grocery store every single time, religiously. It saves me 6%. It's effectively, I save 6% on my grocery bill. That's kind of nice as a percentage, but when you think about the dollars, if I spend $100 at a grocery store, I get $6 back. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's real countable money, but it's, it's, not, it's not necessarily a, a huge amount in the overall budget. A couple more things before we go to break. I've seen some that it's somewhere like a, a double cash back. In other words, would that be they give you the cash back when you make the purchase, but then also when you pay off the the amount? Well, that something depends. like that. I have yeah. seen I have seen ones where it is it is the day you swipe you get a point, and then the day you pay you get another point. There's a there's a lot more that are offering to just a, an across the board two percent cash back. So those could be those could be happening in a number of ways. And understand this is a competitive business. You can go to uh, creditcard.com, which is one of the sites, and plug in basically how you spend, how you use your credit card, and find all kinds of options, you know, whether it's points or cash back, whatever is important to you. Or if you're just strictly looking, if you let those balances roll over, then you're going to be more focused on what is the interest rate they're charging. Um, and then finally, it would show up on your statement, I guess, either as points or there should be something that says this is a credit with the cash back or that should be able to spot it on your statement each month. You should. <clears throat> 
All right. Yes. Well, good. Thanks. That uh, that helps me out a lot. I think I have one, and I need to look in a little closer to see how much I'm getting and, and uh, that sort of thing. So. If you have a question for our experts, send an email to money at mpbonline.org. Today we're talking about mutual funds and EFTs. What do you think the first mutual funds were created? The 20s, the 50s, was it the 80s? We'll have that information for you next. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel. The information presented on Money Talks is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information presented does not create any type of relationship between the hosts and guests and the listening audience. Please consult a financial advisor or any other qualified professional for guidance about your personal finance questions. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Our website, moneytalks.mpbonline.org, is one way to hear past Money Talks broadcasts. You can also download the MPB Public Media app. Then you can listen on your iPhone and or Android phone to all of the local MPB Think Radio programs on demand. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lottridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Tapp, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. The modern mutual fund was thought to have been created in 1924, but historians believe there was a type of mutual fund in the 1770s by Dutch merchants. Before we leave the credit card and start talking about mutual funds, I would like to say that part of the way my uh, spending habits and paying off habits on my credit cards has evolved over the years is thanks to Nancy and Ryder, because like I say, this is something we talk a lot about on the show, uh, and so even my hard head, eventually some of this stuff gets in. So uh, a personal thanks to both of you for, for helping me with my personal finance. Good. You're always welcome to ask us questions about personal finance, Kevin, and we appreciate that. Very good. So we are going to be talking about mutual funds and ETFs, exchange-traded funds, today. Let's start with mutual funds. And, Nancy, if you would, give us a definition. What is a mutual fund? Well, a mutual fund is um, in that category of what we call pooled funds or collections of securities, like like a whole portfolio of all kinds of things within that portfolio. Um 
if you buy shares of a mutual fund, you are participating in the pool. You own a piece of whatever that whole group owns. I like to also call it a buying group. So you are putting your money in with other investors. There is a manager who is buying things for you. And because you're in the pool, you own a piece of what's ever in that pool or portfolio or collection of securities. Now, you just need to make sure that whatever they're buying is what you would want to buy. And so everybody needs to understand about mutual funds because that's what you're largely going to find in your uh, company retirement plan, in your 401ks, in your 403bs. You're going to see a set of mutual funds, and you need to understand what those things are. Choose a buying group or a pool that is buying the securities that you want to buy to participate in that group, and hopefully also choose one that isn't charging you a lot of money. So what, uh, Nancy, would you say are advantages? Why would someone want to invest in a mutual fund? Well, you get instant diversification. So, um, you know, I might not be able to buy a round lot. A round lot is 100 shares of Apple and Amazon and Facebook. But I can maybe spend, uh, you know, $1,000 or even less and buy a mutual fund that has shares of all of those companies within it. So I have exposure to all of those companies. Um, again, they are perfect for retirement plans because you can buy partial shares of mutual funds. And so every time money is taken out of your paycheck and it's sent to the fund company on your behalf in that 401k or 403b, then all of that is being used to invest in the pool. So, Ryder, Nancy mentioned that the funds are managed. So how are mutual funds managed? So there can be a number of ways. And the simplest way to think about it is that there's just somebody there managing. There's a manager at the top whose job it is is to pick out stocks. And they can, and they can pick out stocks based on anything. If they are a very active manager, maybe they have a ton of rules. They have a ton of things they like looking for. Maybe they're like Peter Lynch and they just kind of like flying by the seat of their pants and picking out whatever they see at the grocery store that day. And then it goes all the way to the other extreme of maybe the manager is just a person or a robot or a committee who has said, here is a list of 100 stocks. We are going to buy these 100 stocks, and we will meet again in three months and decide if we should keep investing in these 100 stocks or change any of those. And so on one end, you have the active manager, someone who is who is very active in choosing what goes into the fund. Someone who is very active in choosing what goes into the fund means they need to, they need to pay people to help them do the research. They need to pay people to help them do the trading they need and that, that costs a lot more they have a much much larger management expense the fee is much higher because it's hard work going out there every day and finding stocks and picking stocks and and deciding and and, and what is going to do well and you know sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't but on the other end on the other end we call that passive investment and that's because there's just a list of stocks and and, and you just say okay I'm going to buy these 100 stocks or these 500 stocks. And so in many cases, when we talk about how did the stock market do, <clears throat> you hear us talk about the Dow Jones Industrial Average, or you hear us talk about the S&P 500. And those are just lists of stocks. And so the S&P Dow Jones Company, I think they maintain both of those lists. But you can just 
buy the list from them. I mean, you can go online right now and find that list of stocks. There are 30 stocks in the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and there are 500, although Nancy always reminds me that it's 501, although I think that may just be because Google has two share classes. Not sure. Not going to get into that at the moment. But it's just a list of stocks. And so if you say, I want to have a fund that only invests in the S&P 500. When I hear that the S&P 500 went up 1% today, or it went down half a percent, or anywhere in between, then I want to know that my fund did that too. And so you can have what's called a passive fund. Generally, they'll just be a committee who just makes sure that they're doing the right thing, but it's a very low-cost thing because all they have to do is look at the list, make sure that's what they have in the accounts, and call it a day. So, Ryder, can the manager change which funds um, are in the mutual fund, and if so, how much leeway do they have in, in that regard? Absolutely, and, and that depends a lot on if it's an active fund or a passive fund. So if it's a passive fund, the manager probably doesn't have much leeway, if any at all, to veer from what the index is. Now, sometimes, especially when index funds were getting started, a lot of funds did use methods for reproducing the index it wasn't necessarily just I'm gonna go out and buy one of every stock sometimes they maybe they weren't big enough maybe maybe it was harder to trade some of those stocks so they developed methods for for approximating the index and there are still there are still funds out there that do approximate indexes it's there's various strategies there but for the most part they just try to replicate the index as true as good and well as possible uh, on the other hand, you do have active funds, which, like I said, the manager can have absolute discretion. I mean, he can buy, he or she can buy and sell every single day if they want to, if that is their strategy. And there certainly are some where the strategy does involve buying and selling a lot more frequently than others. There are some where the manager may have a lot of leeway in what they purchase, but they they still have a tendency to hold for a very long time and, and so it, it can really be anywhere in between okay. uh, so nancy what are some types of categories of mutual funds oh there are all kinds and uh okay. kevin I, so many times i have people say to me well i have a mutual fund and i'll say well what's in it and they have no clue um it's really important that you look under the hood understand what is in that fund portfolio that you are participating in. You can uh, look at information that comes from your employer plan. They should be providing you disclosure statements. You can go to Morningstar.com and research funds. Some funds are investing only in stocks. So if you're investing in stocks, you're subject to whatever the market is doing. If it's having a good day, you're going to have a good day. If it's having a bad day, you're going to have a bad day. And stocks don't run in a straight line. You can invest in funds that invest purely in U.S. companies or in international companies, all kinds. You can invest in funds that invest in bonds. Those are fixed income funds. And they can have all kinds of maturities. Understand what you're getting into there. And then there's things called balance funds. And I call balance funds the Walmart of mutual funds. It's everything under one roof. So a balance fund is going to have some bonds in there and some stocks and maybe some cash, all under one fund portfolio.
and even money markets. So if you have a money market fund at the bank, that is actually a mutual fund. It is a collection of very short-term money market instruments. So all kinds out there, make sure you understand what they're buying, what you're participating in, and make sure it fits your risk profile and your goals. Uh, so, Ryder, one of the goals of investment is to make money. So how do shares and mutual funds increase in value? Well, it depends on what is in that mutual fund. So an easy example is money market or bond funds like Nancy was just talking about. With bonds, you don't really – with high-quality bonds and money market instruments, money markets are just extremely short-term bonds, usually just extremely short-term U.S. Treasuries. You don't expect to make a lot of money from the bond price fluctuating. You often expect to hold that bond until it matures but you make money when it pays out interest. So you buy a 2% bond then every you know, for $100, and every year you get $2 off it. And in a mutual fund, it will, they collect that and maybe they, in a bond fund, they typically pay that interest out every month. So they'll just pay that out as, as it comes. And they'll have a collection of bonds in there. And yes, bonds do fluctuate in price, so it might go up some days and down some days, but you often expect to earn a lot on the interest. And of course, you can get into weirder areas, much longer term bonds, um, uh, lower quality bonds, where you do expect different uh, price uh, patterns there. And then there are stock funds, and you make money when the stocks go up, or maybe the stocks will pay dividends. So some managers do like to focus on stocks paying dividends, maybe stocks paying large dividends, stocks paying growing dividends. Um, some prefer no dividends at all, and they just want those stock prices to increase and increase and increase because the company is doing better and better, or they're buying back their shares, or for whatever reason. And so that, when the price is just increasing, that's called a capital gain. And in a mutual fund, they are required to pay out all of the dividends, all of the capital gains, and they break that out between short-term and long-term because that's, that's a tax distinction there. So if a manager buys a stock and it increases over a period less than a year and they sell it, that it, they have a short-term capital gain. And if it increases and they sell it after a year of holding it, that's a long-term capital gain. And so within a mutual fund, they're actually paying those out to you because you, you, the holder, you're responsible for the taxes on that, particularly if you're holding it in an individual account, a taxable brokerage account. If you have it in an IRA, if you have it in your 401k, you don't have to, you don't have to worry about that. They, they still pay the, dip, the dividends and capital gains out just the same because that's just their, their structure and their function. But that's, that's how you expect it to increase in value. So hopefully you have picked a passive fund that is tracking an index that did well, or you've picked a manager who just has happened to do a good job that year, and you have made a good bit of money on it. Uh, but, Nancy, this is an investment, so there's no guarantee that mutual funds will make you money. Oh, absolutely not. It depends on what you're invested in. And just like with stocks, well, there's risk with being an owner of stocks. Um, they don't just go up, even though it feels like that the last few years. You can lose money by investing in a mutual fund. You need to be very careful, make sure that, again, it fits your risk profile and your goals. Uh, one type of mutual fund that I want to go back and mention, it is a type of balanced fund. They're very popular. They're called life cycle funds or target retirement funds. 
And these are funds that have all kinds of securities, both bonds, stocks, some cash instruments, maybe even real estate. And the way they're designed is that the younger you are, the more exposure to stocks because you have that time to make up any volatility in the stock market. And as you get closer to your retirement date, they become more and more conservative. But be careful what you invest in. Make sure if you're uh, buying a mutual fund that has an active manager that they're picking stocks for you, for instance, that they are really good at their jobs and that you are getting the same manager that has been managing for the last 10 years and there hasn't been a change of hands and suddenly they're not very good at what they're doing. So it is our job as investors to really pay attention to what we're buying and getting into and then to monitor that and review it, make sure it still fits us and that those managers and those funds are still performing as needed. We mentioned mutual funds. After the break, we'll transition to ETFs. Have they been around as long as mutual funds? We'll find out next. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. healthy and fit you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active i'm dr josie bidwell host of southern remedy healthy and fit and associate professor of preventive medicine at the university of mississippi medical center listen to the show every monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for southern remedy with your preferred podcasting app You already know MPB Think Radio is a direct result of donations from listeners like you. But instead of counting the size of your donation in dollars, how about axles? Trucks to motorcycles, cars, even 18-wheelers. Your donated vehicle of any size helps fund the programs here on Think Radio. For more information on how to donate your vehicle, visit mpbonline.org support. Money Talks is MPP Think Radio's personal finance broadcast. Kevin Farrell here along with Dr. Nancy Lockridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts. Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. We're learning today about mutual funds and ETFs, exchange-traded funds today. Uh, while mutual funds have been around for a while, ETFs weren't created until the 1990, until 1990. Uh, so, Ryder, if you would, give us a definition of an ETF, exchange-traded funds. 
Yes, so exchange-traded funds are really just a different flavor of mutual fund. One key facet of a mutual I'll have to start, I'll just explain one key facet of a mutual fund is that you can only buy them once a day. So they are bought in the most basic sense by calling up the mutual fund company saying, hey, I would like a piece of your mutual fund, and they'll open up an account for you, and you put money in it, and that gives you shares of the fund. And that only happens once a day. They do not trade throughout the day, so if stocks go up at noon and then down in the afternoon, then the mutual fund investors don't see that. They get a single price at the close every day. At the end of the day, mutual fund company kind of tallies up the value of everything and publishes the price. With an exchange-traded Fund, it trades live throughout the day. And I won't get too much into the weeds of how those are made, but the process is called creation and redemption. And essentially, there are market participants who can buy, generally, they are $100,000 or more chunks of these funds, but they can say, say a fund tracks the S&P 500, they can go buy all of the stocks, take it to the ETF company and trade it for the ETF. So they're constantly trading back and forth between the stock and the ETF. And that keeps the value of the ETF very close to the value of everything that's in it. It fluctuates a teeny, 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 tiny bit. But for the most part, especially on a well-traded one, tracking a well-tracked index, then that's not something that individuals need to worry about. And one of the really interesting pieces of news about exchange-traded funds recently, it combines with another very interesting piece of news, the rise of crypto and Bitcoin, is that there is now a, there are now, I believe, multiple Bitcoin exchange-traded funds. But to back up a little, they do not actually have Bitcoin in them. So one, I, I, what the main reason I believe that that hasn't happened yet is that the SEC has to approve new listed exchange-traded funds. And I believe they're just right now uncomfortable with the ease and accuracy of trading and pricing Bitcoin, the, the asset itself. And so what they have done, you can trade futures on Bitcoin, so contracts to say, oh, I'll give you Bitcoin in a month or two months or three months. So the fund has futures in it. And it works a lot, very similar to how the oil ETFs work. Those don't hold actual physical oil. They're just trading oil contracts, which are pretty heavily traded, fairly liquid. And so that's been really interesting because Bitcoin is kind of hard to access for a lot of people. You have to open up a new account with a Bitcoin-specific exchange. You have to fund it in a specific way. Buying it is a, is a process. And it's just, it's just a new process for a lot of people. It's a different process for a lot of people. It's just not as easy and seamless as buying anything else. But you do have a few options, which, again, talking broadly about ETFs and mutual funds, these are just ways to access a given investment. You have the ETFs which hold Bitcoin futures. There's also been a trust that is traded on exchanges that holds nothing but Bitcoin. So that the, val the, the problem with that one is because it does not have the ETF creation and redemption process, then the price of the trust can get way above or way below the actual value of the Bitcoin in it. 
in Canada, they actually have an exchange traded fund that has Bitcoin in it. So if you are a Canadian listening to this, congratulations, you can go home and buy that ETF today. Then there are also exchange traded funds or companies that just trade in, that invest in companies that do Bitcoin or blockchain related activities. There's a number of those. And so that's kind of interesting if you want to participate in that economy of Bitcoin, but through more traditional companies, which are just doing work in the Bitcoin field. And of course, there is, there's one company called MicroStrategy, which they have made as a very large part of their financial strategy, buying Bitcoin. They currently have about I want to say about half a billion dollars of Bitcoin is what I calculated. Uh, their market value is about $8 billion, so you're paying about $8 for every 50 cents of Bitcoin. But if you think it's going to go up a whole lot, it might be worth it. And it also, that's something you can buy easily today. Uh, Nancy, what are some different types of ETFs? Oh, gosh, Kevin, if you can dream it, you can have an ETF that invests in it. Um, all kinds. They come in all flavors, and we are seeing new ones uh, coming to market on a regular basis, as Ryder mentioned, the, the Bitcoin ETFs. Um, so, again, it's just a matter of making sure that whatever is in that ETF, that fund, their portfolio, that that's the stuff that you want to invest in. And because there's so many flavors and so many ways to do it, you can even buy ETFs that are leveraged. They'll say two times or three times the NASDAQ, which is great when the NASDAQ is going up and terrible when it's going down because if you have the three times, then you're losing three times as much. So all kinds of ETFs out there, they are um, regulated under the investment Act of 1940, which was designed for mutual funds, and ETFs are actually an exception to that law. So everyone that is created has to get a special um, approval from the SEC. So, Ryder, how easy is it to invest in either a mutual fund or an ETF? It's very easy for either one of them. Most brokerage, so like I said before, with mutual funds, you can very often go directly to that mutual fund company, send them money, and they will open up an account for you with your name on it, and you have the shares of the mutual fund. That is a little bit antiquated now. A lot of people want to view all of their stocks and funds and investments all in one place. If you have a 401k, you're probably buying mutual funds in there. But if you have a brokerage account, most brokerages will have arrangements with most mutual funds to carry most of their funds. There are limitations. There are share classes you might not be able to access. There may be smaller fund companies that aren't plugged into your brokerage. But for the most part, you can get, get them all. The great thing about exchange-traded funds, though, is that if you have a brokerage that is connected to a stock exchange, you can buy and sell pretty much any exchange-traded fund. Because again, they're just traded on the exchanges. You just have to plug into the exchange, not into the unique mutual fund company. Also, ETFs often do not have a minimum investment. Uh, except you have to buy one share. A lot of brokerages now do offer partial shares, fractional shares, so you may be able to buy smaller amounts. 
Whereas mutual funds often have a minimum purchase amount, maybe $500, maybe $1,000, or they may have a high fee when you purchase. Some are known as loaded mutual funds. They'll have a up to, I've seen as high as 6% fees on the purchase of it every dollar you put in they take six cents out right off the top and because of the mutual fund structure because it's a little more archaic it's a little more expensive actually to access those annual fees are often a little higher we're talking about mutual funds and exchange traded funds at the beginning of the show we talked about inflation next we'll tell you where you can read more about what's going on this year this is money talks on mpb think radio from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. We're glad you found our show Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, President of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. Here's a program reminder. Every Tuesday at 10 a.m. immediately following Money Talks, listen live to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. As we mentioned earlier in the show, from time to time, the team from New Perspectives will write a blog post. When that happens, we try to put up a podcast highlighting the blog. If you subscribe to our podcast or the MPB Think Radio YouTube channel, you'll receive a notification and can read the blog. Or just go to newper.com to find the blogs, and that's N-E-W-P-E-R.com. John is on the line from Jackson. John, you're on the air with us. Go ahead, please. Hi. Um, uh, listen, there is a very effective television commercial for a financial advisory business. And um, the, the woman uh, at the end says, um, well, we do better when our clients do better. Um, I was just wondering, what are the different ways that um, financial advisors uh charge fees and do you have any suggestions on how to find out what that is and uh, recommendations on kind of you know what's the best way to go on that this is a really important question and it's probably the most important question you can ask when you meet with an advisor how are you paid how much are you paid and um, there are uh, all kinds of good advisors across the spectrum but there is 
some um, conflict of interest that can come about. So you can deal with a commission-only person, and that person makes money when they sell you a product, a fund, uh, an ETF, uh, trade in a security in your account. And that's fine as long as you understand and you read the fine print and you understand how much you are paying for that. You also will have fee-based advisors, and a fee-based advisor will have some commission as well as charging you a fee on top of that. Understand what that is. We are fee-only advisors. We don't do anything that has commission, and that's what you are referencing with that commercial. We are more comfortable with this arrangement because our fees are a percentage of whatever we manage. So when that account gets bigger, our fee gets bigger, which is what we're both after. Okay. Um, I, I would so, like to add, John, that's a fantastic question. Not only what and who, uh, what and how are you paid, but importantly, who pays you? So who pays the advisor? Because so while a lot of advisors, including ourselves, charge based on assets under management, so a percentage of your invested assets, many. Others do that as well, but are paid by someone other than that end client. So if you work, for instance, selling a mutual fund, you may get an asset-based fee, but it's paid to you by that mutual fund company. So your incentive is to respond to what that mutual fund company wants and respond to the where that mutual fund company is going to pay you. Whereas if it is the end client paying us, and that's how we operate, our end clients pay us, they're the only ones paying us, we have an incentive to respond to what their needs are. So again, like Nancy said, our goal is to grow their overall wealth because just like that TV commercial says, I mean, it couldn't have said it better. We do better when our clients do better. Absolutely. 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 All right, John, thanks for your call this morning. <clears throat> Nancy, you had some information you wanted to share with us about the Medicare premiums. Yes, this was just announced this week. And previously, we had gotten information about the cost of living adjustment for next year for Social Security at 5.9%, a very healthy increase, which relates to what we talked about at the top of the show, inflation. Um, Medicare is going to be higher than that, percentage-wise, but not dollar-wise, so don't panic. Um, Percentage-wise, Medicare is going to have an increase of 14.8%. That includes some strange things that happen. It includes that cost of living of 5.9. It also includes um, the health inflation that we've experienced and the outlays for COVID over the last year. And we also, during COVID year, they deliberately kept those premiums down. They only charged a $3 more with the promise that they would make that up in the following years, and that's what they're doing. In reality, uh, for the average Social Security uh, recipient, you're going to see your Social Security payment go up about $92. Your Medicare premium Part B will go up about $22. You're going to net about $70 more. So it is a big increase, but you're still going to come out ahead when all is said and done. And those deductibles are also going up. Those copays are going up. That is all about inflation. All right. We've got a couple of minutes left. Uh, let's wrap up the show. Uh, Ryder, we'll start with you. Um, so someone is trying to decide whether they should invest in a mutual fund or an ETF. What are some things they need to keep in mind when making an informed decision like that? 
Yes, yeah, so any investment, of course, involves the question of, well, what do you expect out of the investment and, and why do you want that investment? But to look at some cases where it might actually be kind of a nail-biting decision, say you have a mutual fund which tracks the S&P 500 and you have an exchange-traded fund which tracks the S&P 500. With the mutual fund, they may both have extremely low management fees on the order of one or two basis points, so one one-hundredth of a percent. Uh, so that may, you know, the difference between one and two basis points, it's so small, that may not be a big consideration. One consideration may be, can you buy enough to meet the mutual fund or your broker's minimum? Again, you know, one of them may have a minimum, one of them may not. Two, there are some tax consequences. With the mutual fund, even a passive fund will, from time to time, have to pay out capital gains, and you do not have any control over that. With the exchange-traded fund, you have control over when the capital gains are realized. So if you're planning on holding this for a long time and you don't want to have to pay capital gains tax in the meantime, then you can, and also just slightly simplifying the accounting of it, an exchange traded fund might be the way to go. Of course, if you're buying this in your 401k where they only offer the mutual fund, then it doesn't really matter. And if you're buying in an IRA account, it may make sense to buy the mutual fund if it, if it is your intent to kind of buy it and totally forget about it. You can you can buy with every single dollar you have in that IRA, so it's very efficient in using up your money, and you don't have any just spare cash laying around. But it is that is a vehicle which is designed to be held for a longer period of time than an exchange-traded fund. So uh, time horizon is a big consideration. Fee is less of a consideration these days, but w when you're comparing two that are accessing the same market. Very good. So just a reminder, if you wanted to access the latest blog post from uh, Nancy and the folks at New Perspectives, it's newper.com is one way to find it, N-E-W-P-E-R.com. Also a reminder, if you ever have an idea for what you'd like to hear us talk about on Money Talks, you can email money at mpbonline.org. Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by generous financial support from listeners. To hear today's show or a previous show, you can find it at moneytalks.mpbonline.org. Org, or listen to the podcast by searching for Money Talks on your preferred podcasting app. Our show is produced each week by Liz Gill, and our call screener today was Java Chapman. So for Dr. Nancy Lotcher-Janderson and Ryder Taft, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to join us every Tuesday at 9 for Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. podcast.